This podcast is brought to you by VinZero. VinZero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit VinZero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From VinZero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to VinZero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Lottie Schlegel is the Executive Director of the Institute for Market Transformation, IMT, a national non-profit organisation focused on making buildings productive, affordable, valuable and resilient. Under Lottie's guidance, IMT is a trailblazer in the energy efficiency field, recognised across the globe for accelerating investment in energy efficient buildings through hands-on guidance, technical and market research, policy and program development and promotion of best practices. Based in Washington DC, IMT leverages its expertise in the intersection of real estate and public policy to make buildings more productive, affordable, valuable and resilient. We're joined today by Lottie Schlegel. Welcome to the program, Lottie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. It's an absolute pleasure. Lottie, you've had a lifelong interest in energy efficiency, haven't you? Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Sure, yeah. And it goes way back, Anthea. I moved around a lot as a child. So I grew up with a global mindset or perspective and an understanding of the connection of consumption on people, livelihoods, and planet. And I think that's what brought me to work in the built environment more than anything else was when I was really, really young. I lived in the UK and I was raised in part by my grandparents who grew up during the depression in a coal mining town in Wales. And my grandfather actually retired from a job operating the electric grid in a part of the country where we lived, which was powered all by um, coal fired power plants. And he was the first person who taught me about energy efficiency. I remember him showing me a a light bulb and telling me stories about relatives who had black lung or risked their lives in coal mines and running over the slag heaps um, when he was a boy to try and find coal for them to cook on. So somehow he really cemented um, that connection for me uh, between the energy that we use with our health, the environment and people's livelihoods. Um, And later in my career, I came back to that foundation. I lived off the grid on solar and water power during a time when I was working in conservation and ecotourism. And then I made a conscious switch to focus directly on energy. And I went to work at the State of Maine Public Utilities Commission, um, which for those of you who don't know, regulates utility companies and how they invest in and price things like energy or internet and water. And that has implications for buildings. So I learned about policy and its connection to business and um, to people in the community. And uh, at the time that I worked there, the oil prices were sky high and many Mainers were struggling with heating costs. And so the Public Utilities Commission also ran energy efficiency programs. And I was able to learn a bit about buildings and understand that they're responsible for a third of our energy and carbon emissions. So um, suffice it to say, I went on to get my MBA and to focus on the business side. I worked for a company that ran energy efficiency and demand response programs. And then I came to IMT, uh, which is a nonprofit organization that looks for opportunities for systemic change impacting our buildings at the intersection of business, government, and community. 
Wow, that's quite a background, Lottie. And it's interesting to hear at the start of your career, so much of what was driving conversation was the price of oil and the cost of heating and energy in general. And here we are again now in 2022, having the same conversations. So it sounds like IMT is a great fit for you. Tell us about the vision for IMT. Yeah, at IMT, we recognize that climate change is here and the impacts are being borne most starkly by communities of color and people who live near industrial sites, people without a lot of resources and the elderly. And in the United States, centuries of policy and business practices have segregated people into unequally resourced buildings and communities with very different vulnerabilities. And now we need to combine that with the impacts of climate change. So we need air conditioning where we didn't need it before, for example, um, or the air quality concerns are different than they were before. And while our knowledge of how to build and renovate buildings to address uh, this is, is there, our policy and business norms have not caught up to those realities. So our vision is that we can change our basic business practices of how we design, build, and operate our buildings so that they reduce harmful pollution and positively transform our physical, social, and economic well-being. That makes a lot of sense. So what role do IMT play when it comes to transforming buildings to better serve people and communities? Yeah, at IMT, we work on driving demand for better buildings through policy, codes, business sector engagement, community engagement, and utility engagement. So many building developers or owners already have a business case for better buildings, and often those that's tied to environmental, social governance, or ESG goals, or operational savings. For and and that business case is for really efficient, healthy buildings. But for others, they'll be motivated to improve buildings because investors, buyers, or tenants ask for better buildings, or because policy requires it. So IMT works on strengthening those signals. And we do that specifically by co-designing policy to improve existing buildings. Um, we work to bring community and governments together to understand their current priorities and match community needs with government's buildings goals. And we provide policy design and implementation support. Um, we advocate for stronger model energy codes, um, specifically the International Energy Conservation Code. And we work to make it easier for people and businesses to take action to improve buildings. For example, if you don't own the building, uh, but you rent, how can you work with your landlord to improve the building? We have specific guidance for landlords and tenants to work together. Or as an example of how we support community organizations to take action, we provide support for those who are advocating for energy efficiency and clean energy with their utilities or their public utilities commissions. So those are some examples of the work that we do. There certainly seems to be an increased amount of policy activity directed at buildings today. Why is it that buildings matter so much? Ah, well, buildings are not just kind of walls and equip equipment. They're the places where we live, work, shop, and socialize. And 74% of our electricity consumption in the U.S. and one-third of our national greenhouse gas emissions comes from buildings. So we cannot hit our climate action goals without addressing buildings. As another example, fewer than 2% of our schools and workplaces and fewer than 1% of our homes get any sort of energy-related renovation in any given year. And at that pace, it's going to take decades to make buildings that are low pollution and that will protect people even when there are power outages or heat waves. Um, 
So I think there's an opportunity to really improve people's lives. So we can also prioritize investment in buildings that shelter our most vulnerable citizens. And if we were to renovate more buildings faster so that they better protect us given the changing climate, we could also see local job growth for people who install equipment, for example. Um, and uh, renovating buildings also creates a, opportunity, a business opportunity as well. We can make improvements in buildings in ways that can actually be good for, for business by reducing operating costs, for example. You touched on an interesting point there about how buildings can improve people's lives. In fact, we recently had Jason Hartke on the program from the International World Building Institute, and we talked about the fact we spend 90% of our lives living in buildings. In fact, Jason said that our physical and social environments, all the places and spaces where we spend our time, have a greater bearing on our state of health than our lifestyle, our behaviours, our access to healthcare, and even our genetics combined. Indeed, it's it's remarkable if you think about how much time we spend in buildings and how we really rely on our buildings during a heat wave to protect us, for example, right? Um, and and it really does. They really do have a huge impact on health. And a lot of the the statistics play that out. Where you know if you there's, there's a multiplier effect, for example, people who are exposed to heat, if they're working outside in the fields or if they're working in a hot warehouse, if they're coming home to a, a building that isn't sufficiently cooled, those health outcomes are amplified for folks. So they really do matter a lot um, when it comes to supporting our well-being. There's no doubt that high-performing buildings can solve a lot of issues, and IMT, of course, have a number of programs and initiatives to address both private sector and government approaches in that direction. One of those is the Building Innovations Hub IMT provide for the building industry. What are some of the key benefits this program is providing to members? Yeah, so there's a great set of people who work on buildings. They work to design, build, operate, or upgrade buildings. Many of these people already know how to make buildings better, but not all. So through our Building Innovation Hub work in D.C. and through similar entities elsewhere, we're able to connect the dots for people to support building owners who don't know where to start or building industry members who want to learn how to make better buildings. So um, this is particularly important in places that have building upgrade policies, uh, like in the US, building performance standards for existing buildings, as many people will need to come into compliance with regulation. So the key activities of these hubs include helping building owners understand what legislation requires of them um, and how to take action, um, helping the local industry to understand how to respond to uh, those kind of larger trends, helping pe people figure out how to finance upgrades, providing guidance and education on how to use more equitable procurement practices, and then connecting people with trusted vendors, like the knowing these people can help you meet your, your building reduction goals. So um, we've actually formed something that we call our Building Performance Partnership with an, an organization called Building Energy Exchange, which is based in New York City, um, to support the creation and operation of local resource hubs in other cities as well, alongside local partners, because uh, we do believe that better buildings are for everybody. Better buildings certainly sound like they are better for everybody and green leasing has had a record-breaking year for commercial properties. What's been the driver behind this upward trend? 
Yeah, so in the U.S., about 30% of our buildings are leased, and the majority of the energy use, often about 70%, comes from tenants. Um, But standard leases make it difficult for both landlord and tenant to benefit from building improvements. We call it a split incentive problem when one party invests resources and the other benefits. So um, this became very evident during the pandemic when occupancy of commercial buildings fell by as much as 95%, but whole building energy use only dropped by 10 to 20%. That's a a study I'm quoting from uh, Johnson Controls. And a survey of New York uh, City commercial real estate companies found similar results. Only 5% of buildings experience whole building energy reductions above 30%. And most buildings... um, only experience like a 10 to 30% reduction. So a lot of the reason for this is that standard leases mandate certain temperatures during operating hours, even if no one is there, for example. So green leasing or performance aligned leasing is a way for landlords and tenants to work together to improve their buildings. What's driving interest in commercial buildings in particular is that more and more companies have some sort of environmental, social, or governance goal an ESG or climate-related commitment. And in some cases, they have to comply with regulation, uh, like building performance standards for existing buildings. So we run a program called Green Lease Leaders in partnership with the U.S. Department of Energy that sets the standard for what constitutes a green lease and provides tools and case studies for starting that process. Um, And we've had mostly domestic applicants, but recently international companies have sought recognition as well, and it it is uh, open to everyone. Are you looking for a digitalization and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit VinZero.com to find out more. That sounds like a really important initiative, particularly given the impact for both landlords and tenants with the pandemic and the effect it's had on occupancy, what are some of the other benefits the Green Leasing Program offers for those who participate? Yeah, sure. So the program assists organizations in creating mutually beneficial agreements between landlords and tenants to pursue better building performance, which that means sometimes energy improvements, but we've also recently expanded the program to include guidance for improvements related to health, resilience, and diversity and inclusion um, through our uh, Platinum Level Green Lease Leaders Award, which was just released this year. And program applicants come from a whole range of buildings, so large and small commercial office buildings, data centers, industrial buildings, multifamily buildings. We see the whole range of participants, that there's something for all sorts of those different types of building uses. Um, And the cumulative floor area, just to give you an example of the reach, um, that's uh, been recognized, uh, companies that have been recognized by green lease leaders is now 5 billion square feet. So the majority of those receiving recognition are receiving recognition 
for maybe a transaction or like being able to start the process and then are able to expand the practice through in, throughout their portfolios and even recommending the program to others. So it sounds like the green leasing program is gaining a lot of momentum and I think you're right when you position it as a common sense solution or alternative to improving efficiency in buildings. What other outcomes are you seeing? Yeah, I think the most critical outcome is improved relationships between landlords and tenants, right? And those better relationships can set the foundation for all kinds of additional improvements, ranging from better indoor air quality to renewable energy, waste reduction, community support of the community surrounding the building, for example. There are benefits like lower utility builds for landlords and tenants, that's not all of it, right? It, there's, there's all of these other, other benefits that can ensue as well. It really sounds like a fair and equitable approach to managing tenancy agreements for both parties on a variety of fronts. Is it likely to be rolled out on a wider scale beyond your market there, do you think? We have had some applicants actually from countries outside of the U.S. and, and some interest in if any of your listeners out there are, are interested in expanding this program in other countries, please feel free to reach out and contact us. We'd be happy to talk. Sounds like a great opportunity. Can we talk about some of the trends that you're seeing that are leading the transition to high-performing buildings? Well, I think we're at a moment in time where people are questioning how we have always done things. So the vast majority of people see climate change as a clear and present danger and the current social inequities as unacceptable. And I think this is particularly true of younger people who are the future of society and the future of the workforce, the future of the market. Um, in response to this, the number of companies with ESG goals continues to grow daily, and um, often that is accompanied by increasingly ambitious climate commitments. I see the trend of investors who see sustainability as key to current and future profitability and competitiveness. And then, of course, governments at all levels are realizing that they can't hit their climate action goals unless they reduce building energy use. And it happens that there's also an opportunity to address housing affordability and um, energy security at the same time. So I guess the way that I would sort of wrap up some of all of these different trends is that environmental goals are no longer siloed from social goals. There's a growing awareness that we need to take climate action in a way that addresses the wrongs of the past and sets us on a path to a, a more equitable and sustainable future. Let's talk about transformative real estate. IMT is on a mission to see the decarbonisation of buildings in this decade and to improve the livability of communities by 2030. What can you tell us about that? Yes, I'm going to start with the big picture and the aspirational. So I asked myself, what would it look like if we were to change the way that we invest in and operate real estate in the United States or around the world? What if we had more inclusive ownership structures and much higher levels of performance for our homes and our workplaces? 
So last year um, at IMT, we convened industry leaders to envision that future and to take advantage of this moment of absolute disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, and the impending and current climate crisis to help envision what would, what what practices could change. And what they developed was a set of 10 principles for the, the um, transformation of real estate to look at aspects of buildings, climate performance, building health, procurement, and ownership practices to be comprehensive about the kinds of principles and practices that companies would need to adopt to have truly inclusive, high-performing buildings um, in alignment with ESG goals. So to give you an example, um, the first of the 10 principles is around increasing opportunity. So a business practice of hiring local small businesses, especially those owned and operated by people of color. And um, th there, I want to give a shout out to one of our great nonprofit partners, which is called the Emerald Cities Collaborative, that has a long uh, history of producing guidance in the contracting processes that lead to economic inclusion. So I encourage you to check out their work if you want to learn more about that specific um, example of business practices around that first principle. But I think in the end, it's just that a lot of these small business decisions add up to make a, a building either community improving or community depleting. And we're pushing the industry to see the opportunities of um, Im improving their business practices and buildings uh, while overcoming their the challenges to do so. So if you want to learn more about the 10 principles of this, uh, this framework for the transformation of real estate, please, I encourage you to visit our website at imt.org. And IMT are driving increased demand for green buildings through advocacy and policy as well, aren't they? From a policy and advocacy angle, we focus on um, improving the baseline code for buildings. So we focus on the International Energy Conservation Code specifically because when that baseline building that you're building is better, everybody benefits. And then on existing buildings, we are supporting a number of communities who have signed on to something that's called the National Building Performance Standards Coalition, which this year the, the White House led an initiative that's bringing together more than 30 U.S. states and local governments um, to create performance-based policies. And they have a very specific focus on equity and community involvement in the policy design process so that the benefits of the policy will flow back to their communities. And then the last example I'll give is on utility engagement, where we're working to ensure that the voices of residents are fully represented in otherwise pretty technical utility planning and decision-making processes that can have a big impact on energy affordability. That's our policy work. And then, of course, from the business angle, we're really looking to make high-performance buildings the new way of doing business and working really closely with the players in the real estate industry to understand the obstacles to building performance and making sure that people are figuring out how to bring solutions that bring people together. So you just raised an interesting point there. What are the obstacles to building performance? 
Yeah, I think sometimes it's just about knowledge, right? It's like, what is what what do you have to do to better insulate a building? And then sometimes it's about the question of like, how do you pay for upgrades, right? If you're not used to um, thinking about improving building performance, you might not think about how do I sequence the upgrades to my building? If I'm doing a normal capital planning cycle, for example, how should I prioritize my investments? Or how do I get the funding to make sure that I can do an improvement at the time that, for example, my boiler breaks? So I think it's just understanding those kind of real world um, barriers that allow people to understand how to do it and uh, how to pay for it. And I guess that's circling right back to the beginning, which is the role of IMT. So if you're not sure where you start, your organisation's providing that great foundation for people to actually get started, make a start, make contact and find out what they can do next. Yes, that's, uh, that is why we exist. So there's a lot happening in your space and IMT are influencing so many areas, affordable housing, energy efficiency, health and wellbeing, building resilience, policy and advocacy. So as we come to the end of our time today, I'd love to ask you, Lottie, when you think future about the work you are doing and the areas you're working across, what is it that excites you the most? I think we are in a moment of intense disruption as a society and that this creates a moment of kind of precarious opportunity for us to align community business and government interests and move towards a better future. I'm really excited to be part of that change and believe that there is a role for every single person working in the buildings industry or supplying the buildings industry. uh, There's a role for every single one of us to play in transformational change. So I would love to leave your listeners with the question, what is your role in making better buildings for all of us? Lottie Shegel, certainly we love to be talking with people just like you and creating conversations that can build a better world. So that's a great way to end our conversation today. Lottie, it's been an absolute pleasure and we look forward to hearing more about the great work IMT are doing and potentially about future global expansion of your programs. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.